Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Mansa-Urusu, and today we've got a great episode with a retired organisational slash occupational psychologist by the name of Dr. Christine George. Christine George has had probably the best career path stories I've ever heard, so if you're interested, please stay tuned. She navigated her career by doing an undergraduate degree at the University of Sheffield in Psychology and Sociology, which was accredited by the British Psychological Society. She then wanted to pursue a career in clinical psychology, applied to the University of Birmingham, but then something happened and she ended up doing a master's degree in applied psychology at Aston University in Birmingham. And then she went on to do a PhD, even though she didn't want to do a PhD, at Henley Business School, which at the time was part of Brunel University or University, but now is part of the University of Reading. And at that time, her research was in job design and measurement of skill. Um, So she did her research in a variety of different organisations, including a biscuit factory in Bermondsey, Cadbury's and record companies as well. So that wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. She then went on to work for a local authority in London. She also worked with a charity called the Windsor Fellowship and then um, settled more on a career within academia at the University of West West London, which is now, which used to be called Thames Valley University and also worked at London Metropolitan University as well. So if you're interested in hearing about her very interesting and very varied career, please stay tuned. Thank you for listening in today. Welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. And today we actually have a business psychologist on the podcast um, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. So, yes, I'm going to hand it over to our guest. Oh, hello. Um, my name is Christine George. I'm an um, occupational stroke business, stroke work psychologist. I used to run the MSc course for many years at, at the University of Hertfordshire, but I'm now retired. I do a little bit of consultancy and I'm also working with, with Birkbeck, their professional doctorate. Brilliant. So Christine, really excited to have a talk with you today, mainly around obviously your career journey, how you got to where you are. And I like the fact that you've you've done a lot of things within organisational psychology, some slightly out, but it's still under the umbrella. And I think um, this episode will be really well received, I think, by people who are just starting out in their careers or any career changes, because I often get questions about how people can gain experience. You know, what's the pathway to occupational psychology where do people work and I think because you've carved out a bit more of a portfolio career it it really does lend itself to answering some of those questions so um the first thing I'm going to ask you is really how did you come to occupational slash work slash business (laughs) psychology how did you get here or how did you get to that choice in your career of psychology right this is where I have to admit for people who are looking for career advice that it was all by chance um, but a a lucky chance. Uh, I did my undergraduate degree at um, Sheffield, University of Sheffield. I actually did psychology and sociology but it was accredited by by the BPS and I wanted to do clinical psychology. I wanted to carry on to do clinical Mm -hmm. and I actually as part of my undergraduate degree I'd done my um, dissertation and in clinical, I'd done it in the big psychiatric hospital in Accra in Ghana. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was all set, I was all set to do to do clinical psychology. 
Uh, but as, as everybody knows, it's, it's really quite difficult to get onto the courses. And mm. I was lucky enough to get an interview straight away. And they said, yeah, on paper, you look fine, but you need to go away and get some experience. Mm. So I got a job with um, a children in a children's home in um, Northampton, mm-hmm. outside, just outside Northampton. Um, that's a whole story in itself, so I won't go into that oh, at the moment. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> but whilst whilst I was there, I, I decided I'd stay there for a year, and then I'd apply for my master's in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. So I actually applied to the University of Birmingham, right, for clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, unknown to, to me or anybody else, the post office, in its wisdom, delivered my letter to the University of Aston, uh, which, which is in Birmingham, but doesn't do, clini- well, didn't then do clinical psychology. I don't think they do it now either, I'm not too sure. I don't think so either. But they said they did do a course, which, that, which was then called Applied Psychology, and there was a little bit of neuropsychology in it, which I didn't end up doing um, but I went along for, for the interview they accepted me onto the course mm-hmm. and I was due to start the following that was in August I went for the interview mm-hmm. and then got a letter from them saying no we've made um we've got lots we've got places on the course would you like to start this September yeah by which time the job in the children's hospital then children's home had gone um well, hadn't gone well, let's, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. The children were lovely, but we got a new manager and mm. I caused lots of problems. So I, w- I was glad to go. My dad said he'd support me because I wouldn't, we, in the olden days, we got grants and I would have yeah. got, got a grant to do it if I'd yeah. gone the following year, but it was too right. late that year for a grant. But my dad said he'd, he'd help me to do, to do the course. So, so I did that. So I uh, and the, that course, although it was applied psychology, was mostly occupational psychology. So we did right. assessment and training and a lot, an awful lot of ergonomics. Right. <laughs> and yeah, and you know, so I really enjoyed the course. We did lots of practical things like interviewing firemen during. Um, Brilliant. As one of, as one of our assignments and as one of our tri- training assignments, I remember I went to. I think it was Selfridges, or one of one of the big shops in Birmingham. Yeah, and, and asked them about their training. It was yeah, it was a it was a, a really interesting course. Um, I did a very boring project, but um, and they asked me to stay on for to do a PhD. And um, actually, they asked me at Sheffield to stay on to do a PhD. I said no, no, I'm sought never gonna, after. I'm never going to do a PhD. I'm never going to do a PhD. But. <laughs> I, I then ended up doing a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking for jobs and um, my mum was, was a social worker by then. And I looked at, there was a magazine in there, so it's called New Society. Mm-hmm. And there was an advert in, in New Society saying, would you like to make people's work behaviourally more positive? And I thought, well, that actually sounds quite interesting. Yeah. So um, I didn't know what it was. I just applied and it, it was um to to do a, a phd with um a group called the work research group uh, based in what is now henley business school right 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 then henley management college was that when henley business school no that would have been before it became part of brunel no was... it was when it was part of brunel oh was it okay perfect yeah. 
Um, and then obviously now it's part of Reading. It's been, yeah, yeah it's interesting. That sounds, I like how you applied to Birmingham for clinical, Birmingham University, and then it went to Aston. So it was actually the post people's fault. Yeah. That you even are on this part. <laughs> really so it was complete. Uh, a complete uh, accident. Yeah. And ever, but, did you ever think at the time, like, I don't want to do applied psychology. I, I wanted to do clinical. No, I suppose. I think my dad had obviously had looked at the um, the sorts of subject. I think he, he'd investigated. And I looked at what they did and it, and it looked really interesting. And to tell the truth, I so wanted to get away from that job in the children's home too. Right. And it was, it was that this was there this year. But no, I, I, I didn't. I mean, I thought, well, if I don't like it, I don't like it. But True. actually, I really liked it. So brilliant. That sounds so. F- Again, total accident. I've never heard of an accident that accidental before when it comes to careers, but it really was like That's a real accident. Yeah, something or someone really like steered you way away from clinical to the extent where the post person sent it to the wrong university the wrong Birmingham university so uh I wonder who that postman or person was that did that made that mistake (laughs) you will never know um so yeah after so you did the PhD so your PhD was at technically Brunel but under Henley Business School yeah what was that like what was the project that you did what kind of research did you do after saying you were like that you didn't want to do a PhD did you one? um yeah uh, what was it like it I did uh, my my PhD job title uh, the short title is it's job skills and job satisfaction right. and I was part of this work research group which went into organizations and redesigned so that it was work, sort of job redesign. So right. that's, that was a, the over thing. And the, they were using, a, they didn't have a measure of skill as part of their um, diagnosis when they first went into the organisation. They looked, measured quite a lot of things, but they didn't have a measure of skill. So the purpose of my PhD was to try and develop a, a measure of, of skill. Right. I decided that I really wanted to, to look in manufacturing industry, maybe because it was sort of starting to decline, but I've always been interested in how things are made. Yeah. So I did, I collected data in five organisations, mm-hmm. two biscuit factories. <laughs> did you get any freebies? Oh, you could eat as many as you like, but you still, you still get fed up with it. You, do. you can eat, um, yeah, the first one was... Um, it, it was in Bermondsey and, and that was it, it. I was doing research for the work research group as well as doing my PhD. Right. So I was collecting data for that and collecting data for myself. Mm. And um, we had um, a sort of experimental group was the, the custard creams where we were actually making making changes to the, the jobs. And then the control group was a bourbon. Seriously, that sounds like my dream job, honestly. Maybe a slight change. Maybe I would have gone for a hobnob, but anyway, you know, oh, right. begs can't uh, change this. No, that's true. So, so that was that was one. The other one was Cadbury's, which was actually near to, to where I grew up. Yeah, Birmingham. Oh, no, not in Birmingham, actually. It was in on, on the world, in a place called Morton. Oh, so I'm familiar with the Bourneville factory yes. near where Birmingham Uni is. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't know yeah. they had another site. 
yeah, this is it's not there anymore, but it, it was right. in a place called Morton, which is on the Royal Peninsula near, near Liverpool. Right. And where else did I get? Oh, what well, a place that wouldn't allow us to even mention what they made. Okay. Um, and then that's three. Oh, the best one was EMI Records, Ooh. which was which was then in Hayes Hayes Bridge. Um, yeah, isn't isn't there anymore? Um, yeah, it was the best one, bestest one. So it just sounds fascinating, and I thought I thought it it sounds like you kind of had a bit of fun as well. You were able to go into the factories, sample what it was like for people who was work who were working there, mm. talk to lots of different people as well around shaping the skills element um did you was it difficult to go in as a researcher because you're an outsider you're saying you're doing a PhD what was the reception that you received no I mean really it, it, they were really good I mean they were too nice in some ways and they messed up one of my measures but um <laughs> but I mean I mean the, the process was when I was developing the measure of skills that I'd watched them do their job for maybe an hour mm. and maybe chat, ask them, well, why are you doing that? And what, what, what's that piece of equipment and so forth. Mm. And then after, and then I'd use my scales to, to measure their job. And then after that, we'd have an interview where I'd get them to measure their job using the same scale. So I could, I could compare them. So I got to know them, you know, got to know them quite well during that period. And I, in most of the organisations, I went right through. So I'd sort of start on the shop floor and then go go right up wow. the organisation. So. Wow. That sounds great. And what were you finding? Did you manage to come up with the scale? Was it a published PhD? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, <laughs> it, I did come up with a scale, which I used many years later when I was... Um, doing teaching leisure management. It, it was quite useful for, for sort of sports and things. Um, now, one of the reasons I didn't come up with it is because I then left the country, but um, the, the scale was okay. I found a relationship between level of skill and, and job satisfaction. Right. Um, but what, what I did realize was that when we talk about skills, that a lot of those jobs are very highly skilled in certain types of skills like dexterity, yeah. those sorts of skills. Um, and they were classified as unskilled jobs. And other jobs were just lifting heavy things and they were skilled jobs because it was mostly men doing that. So it made me realize that some skills were, were valued more, more than other skills in, in the organization. Right. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the data collection. I had, issues in one organization but that was due to the supervisor right sounds like it was a really interesting experience so what happened after that like where did you go um did you decide to go into academia or industry because obviously the research side and where you were placed Mm. meant that you could have probably done both you could have done either uh over there yeah well I was sort of research assistant for a a year still right. at, at Henley so I did some more work we did another project right. around job design so job design project uh, and then I and, and I was also writing up my PhD then mm-hmm. and then I was looking for a job and I, I worked for um as a researcher for a magazine called Better Buys for Business oh. which was um a sort of witch for business it had been it was the 
the idea of, of one person and um, he, he had a tiny office in Golden Square and about there were two research I think he took me on because he felt sorry for me I, <laughs> I, I work part-time for for him um he'd just give you research sometimes there'd be very boring research projects so, sort of thing you could do on the internet now um, on, um what's the best desk to buy you know so me and this other guy we'd walk around central London going into these offices and getting magazines about death well, and then other times uh, you get you know we things like um how would you get money to somebody who was stranded a lorry driver who was stranded in Turkey what was the best way to get there was quite quite different projects yeah but interesting at the same time I'm sure you were kept on your toes and, and the interesting thing about it was it's interesting to see how, because it was started to get bigger as I, the organisation started to get bigger as mm. I was there, and how difficult it is when you, it's your sort of baby, as it, as it was, yeah. and you're starting to have to employ more people yeah. and you you can't control everything. And it's, so that, that was quite an interesting. Uh, but my first proper job was actually very local to where I am now, was with the London Borough of Ealing. Right, okay. As a sort of internal consultant. Uh-huh. Again, very varied work. We had a sort of list of things that we had to do. To, there were two of us. And it was for what we called, what was the technical services department, all those areas now being outsourced, but it was the surveyors, the, um, right. the gardeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, traffic control. Yeah. All, all, all those sorts of people oh and the, the leisure centers and we had a variety of different projects um well there was one where we, we looked at the ledger, the one of the people job stress in in the in the leisure center because the manager of the leisure center was working ridiculous hours mm-hmm. and had worked was so stressed that he'd actually had a cardiac oh, arrest and, and so was looking at how to maybe reorganise the, the work to to make it less, less stressful for him. That sounds interesting, like the level of... And at that time, what was... I don't want to... Yeah, it's a kind of a tricky question, I'm going to word it. But, like, what was the knowledge of, of occupational psychology? Obviously, you didn't do a specific MSc in it. Yours was applied psychology. Did your PhD in applied psychology, I'm <laughs> assuming... Um, so then when you came out, what kinds of roles, because the roles that you were doing obviously are very oc psyche, that's what we would call them mm. now. But at the time, what were they? What were you looking for? Did people know what you were doing? Like, how did you find them? I can't remember how fun how fun Ealing was. Um, it's very handy because I, I lived just down the road from, from, from the council. But um, it must have been advertised somewhere. Yeah. I don't think, no, my, my boss wouldn't have known anything about occupational psychology. I mean, yeah. I did do an ergonomically type, um, type, type um, project. And I suppose my biggest project was um, the gardening people had beautiful offices uh, in um, a place called Horsenden Hill, mm-hmm. the bottom of Horsenden Hill, a lovely Victorian building. Yeah. But they all, they all had to be moved to this awful building, which is, luckily is not there anymore. Uh, on Uxbridge Road mm. and they had to go from these lovely individual offices to um open plan office in oh so I, I sort of you know did 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 all sorts of things but I don't 
I no, nobody knew what occupational psychology was, and I wouldn't have called myself an occupational psychologist. Yeah, were you just like a researcher or a project project? Whatever yeah. your job title was. Uh, I think what was my job title? Projects officer. Yeah. Projects officer. Yeah. And we you, just did projects. Yeah. So you went. You didn't identify in, in within the profession as I'm an occupational psychologist. You just you just did the work. Obviously, everything you did was very oxide. Uh, with the job design with skills design all of that kind of stuff mm. but you you weren't labeled as such and and people didn't see you as that that you were just there to do the projects and you did the projects and you came back with findings and you implemented them yeah I think they didn't even know as a psychologist because you know you get mm. odd reactions of people yeah you say you're a psychologist <laughs> I probably I didn't even probably tell them yeah tell them I was a psychologist some things never change. Don't worry, Christine. It's the same. <laughs> it's and it does sound like a lot of things haven't changed within the circles because you know, MSc students are coming out now, PhD mm. students, professional doctorate people. It's very rare. I mean, you do find the, the roles that say oxide, mm. um, organizational psychology specialist, whatever, but it's few and far between. So people are putting themselves into different environments, but they're coming out and doing projects that are extremely related things like selection and assessment design things like um job evaluation things like talent sourcing and all of those things they're all and that's what we study on the msc that's what you would do if you're doing the professional doctorate or you're you're going towards the um the chartership process um so yeah sounds exactly the same and for you were you able to pursue chartership um and if so how what was it like then and how did you do it? I didn't do it for many years, for many years after that. It was it, it was a long time after, actually. Mm. Um, I sort of moved into academia. I taught for a while in Nigeria. And then I came back, worked for myself for a while. Right. Um, then I, st- I worked in my local university, University mm-hmm. of West London. Okay. And I worked there for years. And I joined the section. There was a section of occupational psychology. Yeah. And that was run by somebody called Rosemary Nodder, mm-hmm. who was a, a harpager. And they seemed to do really interesting things. They had interesting workshops, they had conference and stuff. And I there was I knew there was also the division, but I at that stage I was I didn't know the difference between the section and the division. Right. Until I I eventually got a job as sort of like a head of department, head, a head of the HR subject group. And one of the people that was I was working with um, said to me, oh, you know, I think, well, two of the people said, I think you should actually join the division of occupational psychology. So then I started investigating how you became chartered and right. all that thing. And it, it was different from that. It was an awkward journey because, because of the route I'd taken. Or I, I had an accredited degree, so that mm. was one thing. The MSc was mostly occupational and there were some big people. The assessment guy was one of the, there's a guy who'd devise the assessment system for the civil service. So right. he's quite, quite well known. Um, but I had to, oh, I had to provide a lot of evidence. It was, it was the hour stuff then. And, and I also had to provide evidence that the people that, who'd supervised me were either occupational psychologists or, and luckily for me, I mean, I thought it was unlucky at the time, but um, my supervisor had chosen an ergonomist as um, for the Viva. 
right right as my external examiner yeah. and that worked out well because because he was obviously he was a member of the bps and oh. he, was, he was in in the division so it took ages it took months they kept on writing back and asking for more for more evidence it wasn't the, the sort of organized route as 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 before but yeah. as, as it is now but yeah it was very no time consuming, but in the end, and then obviously I had to get people who I had to get two referees from who are occupational psychologists, but there was those are the two people who, who told me how to to join in the first place. So. Interesting. Again, quite convoluted. It was very convoluted, and um, you know, so so it was relatively in my career, relatively recently that I I joined the the division. It wasn't something that I set out to do straight yeah. after my master. I mean, I didn't know about it. And because of where I worked, I wasn't even a member of the BPS for, yeah. for many years because in those days, I know they've changed it now, you had to have you had to have two people to sign your form. Yeah. So it wasn't until I worked at um, University of West London that I knew two psychologists wow. to sign it. Because I wasn't working with I wasn't working with psychologists. I yeah. Have, yeah. You're more in the applied space. You were just doing like mm. consultancy and academia, and mm. in those areas, especially if you're in the business schools as well, and and yeah. you're not what you are like a standalone. You're not in in a department of psychologists. You're just there trying to work and do whatever you need to do. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. It's interesting. Um, so after the role at Ealing, where did you go next? Oh, right, Ealing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Well, I'd applied, you know how it is, you're applying for more than one job at, at a time. Yeah. And I'd applied for a job at what is now London, London Met. Yeah. Um, before I'd applied to Ealing and I'd gone for the interview and it was one of those jobs where they'd actually written the job description for somebody and so she got the job. But oh. actually they quite, they quite liked me at the interview and six months into my job, at Ealing, they rang me up and said, oh, you know that job you applied for six months ago? Uh, you can have it now if you want. Um, but the tr- thing was that and, um, Ealing was paying quite well, was paying right. better than academia. So we came to an agreement in the end and I, I moved to London Met, well, Polytechnic of North London then. And so how was that transition back into academia? I suppose you had that exposure when you were doing the PhD with a research assistant. It was interesting. I mean, I was uh, again. Well, I was. I wasn't sharing an office with another psychologist. That's, that was quite nice. Um, <laughs> but it was a survey research unit. Right. So we did massive surveys on all sorts of topics, and we did one on values, which is the one yeah. that global values. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was nice because I'd obviously done some survey work, but I'd never worked in a unit where you had you worked with a statistician and you you designed the survey with the statistician because he he would tell you how to how it's going to be analysed and that sort of thing. Um, And I'd never done such such massive scales surveys. Um, Did you say they were like global, international? Yeah. Yeah, internationals, internationals. So. so, so what was the response numbers like? People, oh, I can't remember, but it's in the thousands. It's not right, twenty four thousand or something. Okay. They were big numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no wonder you got the statistician in. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's quite nice when you have that kind of level of support in the team, so you can actually develop the scales. You don't have to rack your. There's someone dedicated to do that kind of work, and then you can mm. concentrate on 
doing your job really that sounds like a dream <laughs> for an ox like he's interested in surveys yeah. that sounds like a really good bit of exposure that was good and the person I shared an office with he went on to um, own his own massive survey company many years later I bought mm. into him years later and he said oh I own this company like, oh, oh interesting yeah and then my husband had he was from, from Grenada but he always wanted to go to Nigeria to to work yeah and he got a job in Nigeria and I got a job as well in Nigeria so after that I moved to Nigeria how did he get a job in Nigeria what is the job in Nigeria oh is it he was a tailor and he got a job oh. as manager of a garment factory in Nigeria right, right. River. and I got a job in something called um a school of basic studies right. um it was a school where they were sort of doing a levels because yeah that says you did just did the YAC and then went on to university in West Africa yeah so like GCSEs and then went on and very few people from my dad's area so Cross River State and Aquibon were were going on to university so they decided to put in another step right right right. like an an A level so I was teaching management um, interesting again never you're not never too far away no, no, no. To, to, to um to the students there, which was an interesting, an interesting experience. Um, then my husband's contract was terminated because I don't know something happened. Uh, I could have stayed on, but I just did my two years contract and and came and came back again. And then I worked for myself, right? Because when I came back, I had I had a a baby my daughter is big big woman now but there was a baby there yeah. and um so I just I thought it would be more flexible mm-hmm. because I know work, working working for myself than yeah. you know work working in an organization so I you know I started off doing little bits of assessment assessment work did quite a lot of um diversity work with the civil service right um I just I just did anything really um and then I got a temporary job for a year at the University of West London and I just stayed there there. yes stayed there for a long time it sounds like that consultancy work like being coming working abroad for a bit coming back and then you're like I've got a child so I'm gonna have to see how I can make this work how easy was it for you to find those like contract roles especially I mean we're not in the era of applying in those days we weren't in the era of applying for jobs online uh but it's a little bit easier to do that how did you do how did that? I do it I'm trying to think how did I how did I do it I I I think well the the civil service I had a friend who um worked with the civil service yeah and she was doing some she knew the people who were doing the diversity stuff so she put my name forward for that so that's how that's how I got I got I got that so it was it was contacts I'm trying the assessment stuff I I can't think how I got the first lot of assessment I must have applied for it there must have been another but then I got to work with um the Windsor Fellowship right really was that like when it had started? I mean, I have yes. no idea. Yeah, yeah, it was when it, it hadn't long started, and the head of the I've forgotten the name now, but the head she was really interested in psychometrics because she'd applied for a job at a large um, bank, 
Yeah. And they'd said that she didn't fit the profile. Right. And of course, in those days, the profile would have been white men and yeah. she was a black woman. Yeah. So she didn't have much chance of fitting the profile. And so she was quite interested in psychometrics and how they were used and how... Yeah. So I used to go in and do a session with them on on psychometrics. Right. And explain, I'd sort of do a test and uh, give them the results and then explain how these results might be used in in um, recruitment and assessment. So I did that f- for a little while. Um, I don't know how I got... I, I think it was just, you know, once you get somewhere, yeah. you start to... People start to offer off you other work. I did bits of teaching too, um, at private universities right um and I got some work through them as well so like it really is like I said earlier it really is an example of a portfolio career like not just then but throughout your career because it's not like oh I'm just going to do a bit of lecturing you probably would have done consultancy at the same time privately um you would have been exposed to so many people because throughout your career even internationally, you would meet different people and then you mm. share their, your skills and they'd be like, oh, can you come in and do this a few years or a few months later? Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky because when I was at West London, we I was in the business school, management, management school, yeah. and they got a big um, consultancy project. And so I, I worked on that. Yeah. I, I did sort of some interpersonal skills training on that. And then... Um, when I left there and went to Hertfordshire, because I was running the occupational psychology course and because the course was quite consultancy based, yeah, there was an agreement that I would do some. I had to keep up my consultancy side. So and also because all the projects were consultancy based, it, it was and you know I had real really good access to lots of organisations. Yeah. yeah. Well. So it just it's just brilliant. I just really like your career. I think it, it really shows the versatility of what you can do with with a psychology background, but a work psychology background or a business psychology background. You don't have to work in a consultancy for 20 years. You don't have to, if you want to do be an academic, mm. you don't have to be wedded to one university. You can move around and you can really mix it up based on what you prefer and what your your interests where your interests lie what would you say um out of all the roles you've done I don't know if you can choose a favorite but if you could choose a favorite what would that be and why I think it probably was um running the MSc at Hertfordshire okay because you had it was just such a the people there were lovely Mm. and then it was such a nice balance of the applied and the academic yeah. because because the projects had to be quite applied right. um which is a real headache for the students and probably still is a real headache for the students because they had to find an organization who would allow them to do the project in, mm. in it you know and there were messy projects as well often yeah because um, they're real life so you yeah. have to yeah yeah um but I think they learned a lot and and it's nice to see how people have how people have gone on and flourished because it was difficult. I, I remember, you know, during the project time, which just be coming to an end now. Um, mm. You know, I'd have people in my office in tears. Yeah, and many I, tears. It was. It was. I, I know it was really hard for them to find the organisation to actually struggle as a, you know a young person 
um, collecting information from big organisations wasn't easy. People would sometimes get, get, get in your way. I remember this one person, she's a tiny person, and she got her project was with a brick making company. Wow. Uh, and, you know, it's all these sort of hefty, hefty guys. And she, she really, she, well, she was quite a quiet person and she had to yeah. become a lot more assertive yeah. over, over the period of, of, her, of her project. It's just nice to see people flourish, I think. Yeah, and I think that kind of experience of like throwing people in at the deep end, that's the kind of skills you need if you are going to do consultancy work because you, you can be put anywhere. Mm. Um, well, even if it's not consultancy work, you could be in any industry, as we know, yeah. organisational psychology every organization right so I've had roles where I've had to speak to train drivers <laughs> uh, guards signal people and, and I'm in the middle of a train track somewhere in like the middle of London or a depot mm. in Reading and I'm just having a chat with the station manager or something and you just have to adapt and I think it's really good skills to learn how to just talk to anybody and explain what you're doing in a way that anyone can understand Yes, I think I think that's it. That you have to, you know, not hide behind the academic language, but mm. just try to explain to people what you do. And I was lucky with my PhD because the way I was sort of talking to people throughout the organisation meant that I did have to explain. Yeah. I mean, and some of those, some of the skills that I was measuring uh, were really obscure. Yeah. And to try and explain them, it it, it, it was difficult sometimes, but. I think it was yeah. good training. Absolutely. And we're near the end, but uh, one question I'd like to ask is around, <laughs> and I don't want to age you, Christine, and I don't want to say, <laughs> oh, in the olden days in the UK, what was race relations like? But in real talk, though, like, mm. what was it like being a Black acad- woman, a lot of the times in academia, sometimes not in academia, in industry, especially those kinds of, like, uh, industries, Um and then even moving to Nigeria as well as like oh. a, I don't know if you could as an expat <laughs> what was that like in the UK first of all especially when you were first starting um and did you receive any kind of overt or covert or hostility how did you navigate the environments that you were in it's interesting um there was host- there was hostility not so much in the organizations where I collected data Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, there was some people were given more opportunities than yeah. I was. I mean, I have been lucky. I think I've had a charm life in many ways. I've always, I've had people who have like um, again better advice for business who sort of looked after me when I needed just a bit of money to write up my page. Um, when I was at Tenley, Professor Malcolm Warner was was very kind and supported me quite a lot there yeah. and you know that there was I mean people people who weren't that but white people got on easier than I did yeah but I got on so that that, that was it within the organization I don't remember much I mean I had an issue in in one of them but it wasn't so much racist it was because he was worried about he didn't understand what I was doing and he thought that I was asking about him I did find out about him actually, but I wasn't. Aware. I, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. You know, you just 
put up with it, didn't he? He was so yeah. used to it yeah. that, you know, it had gone from school right, yeah. right the way through that he, he just put up with it. Mm. Nigeria was another um, experience uh, yeah. in that, well, it's difficult. I mean, my, my father's Nigerian, but, you know, they used to sort of call me Mbakara, which is like white person. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they were, they, it wasn't, it wasn't so much in Bakura I could, I could put up with. Mm. And I could, but um, the amount of sort of, what's the word I want to say? Macho. Paternalistic uh, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody told me, and I knew it wasn't true because my dad was like, he said, oh, he said, what a pity that you're a girl because all that education, just wasted, just wasted. If you'd only been a boy, it would have been mm. so much. So th- th- there was, it, it was, it was interesting. Um, I mean, when I first started um, teach, I didn't notice it at West London because maybe West London is so diverse. It is, yeah. And, always, it kind of always has been as well. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I couldn't, but when I first went to Hertfordshire, my very first group, um, it was very different from how the groups are now. So in those days, the MSCs were white women or aged about the mid-30s. Yeah. Middle class. <clears throat> I suppose my experience was more organisational than, than the sort of low, the, the micro um, yeah. psychology. Yeah. I was doing a talk on um, organisational structure. Yeah. I was talking about tall and flat organisations mm. and somebody just started ridiculing me and saying, oh, is that the technical term then? I, I, sort of, I never had my um, sort of professional expertise question yeah. and, and, until I went there. So that, that, was, that was interesting. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, Harvard was lovely. It was, when I first went, it was, it was a little bit like going back into the 1950s. <laughs> It, but, but it was really lovely and um being mistaken for a student I suppose um was was one thing mind you that has happened to me at, at West London but by that that was a few years ago only uh, a couple of years ago and I was so pleased being of the age that I am I, I didn't care that I was mistaken for a no. student but you know that's that's a sort of typical thing um in fact I've just I've just did a presentation to Liverpool, a people aspiring psychology group um, right. about the others in organisations mm-hmm. and looked at microaggressions experienced by black people, women, yeah. um, gay people, anybody who's othered in, all yeah. or in an, in, in an organisation. And some of the examples coming up there from the way, so it's a most of the examples were based in universities, which is quite interesting. Mm. And the women would say, you know, I'd, I'd come up with an idea in a meeting and everybody, would, nobody would listen to it. Yep. And then a few minutes later, a white guy would come up with exactly the same idea, maybe expressed a little bit differently. And everybody would say, oh, isn't that fantastic? And I suppose that happened a lot. I mean, it was hard. It was, it, it was hard being... A head of head of subject at yeah. um, at West London because I was relatively young then and I was managing people who were much more experienced and knowledgeable than me. On and, paper, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that was difficult, and I think there was some maybe race related issues there as, yeah. as well. 
but um, yeah, things don't change that much. No, it. I mean, everything you're talking about, it, it still happens. It has. It. I think the language that we used to talk about it and people's tolerance levels have changed, but it's not dissimilar to things that I've seen and heard before. And you're talking about. Uh, women coming up with ideas in the workplace and and it being ignored I it just reminds me of an episode of girlfriends with um Tracy Ellis Ross etc that I because I watched the whole all of the seasons because it came on Netflix last year so I watched them all back to back and there's one episode where Tracy Ellis Ross's character Joan she's a lawyer and she's in the law firm and it's it, there's a scene or well, a whole episode about it where she's talking and no one's listening and then she seeks advice from her male colleague and her friends like no one listens to me when I talk mm. and every somebody else keeps taking the credit for it so and that was when was that filmed late 90s or th- early 2000s and, and mm. it's still happening now so it's the same story over and over again but it's interesting to hear that you you know you did have the allies quote unquote um early on in your career and throughout your career that really helps you get along um and obviously your own skill and intelligence obviously helped too but it was also mm, those external uh, people and internal people that helped there were there were always yeah. allies I mean when I first went to Hertfordshire the the head of department then was she she, she really pushed me to do lots of things mm. and then after that it was the, the next head of department would all stop me from uh, taking work home and you know talk about work-life balance right so yeah there's a, I've, I've been I've been lucky I've, West London I had female manager and she also pushed me I mean beyond my, my comfort area sometimes because she I remember my daughter was quite young mm. my husband was actually away and she said she need to go to a, an overseas meeting and I thought, I can't yeah. do it. I've got no... But she she pushed me. She said, yeah, you've got to do it. And, I, you know, she she did push me into things. And she she also, when, when I first came back to work, I, I was a job share for a bit. Then um, she kept on saying, oh, Christine, why don't you push up your hours a bit to 0.75? So right. I went to 0.75. And then she said, well, why don't you push up to full time? And I said, well, no, because... You know, I want my daughter's at school. I want to be able to leave at three o'clock and then pick her up from yeah. school. She said, go and look in the car park um, uh, at the people at three o'clock. Go into the car park at three o'clock and see um, people leaving to pick up their children. And she, and she said, there's people are full time. She said, yeah, if they can do it, you can do it as well. Yeah, well so I did, yeah, I did have allies. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important in anybody's career journey. So last but not least, and I'm sure you get this question so much because of your position, especially at Hertfordshire of head of MSE, what skills or tips would you give to aspiring occupational psychologists? So either people who are starting the MSE, have finished, they're looking for roles, what kind of tips or recommendations advice would you give them well I must admit I've missed out some of my jobs that I did when my daughter was very young Mm. I would say that one of the benefits we have of being occupational psychologists is that we can be all where any work is can be studied so we can do any work really yeah and and apply and uh, and apply our skills to it or use it as to to do to develop our skills so 
I would say that you maybe have to look, there are a few occupational psychology roles advertised, mostly with the sort of civil service on yeah. and with the yeah. Ministry of Justice, that sort of thing. But, you know, maybe you have to look a bit wider, yeah. maybe things that, uh, I, I know somebody who, who left, Hutch, um, she got a job with Tesco, she tests products, so it's sort of Brilliant. using the ergonomics bit of, yeah. of, of the course. So maybe look wider. I mean, there's always, one of the things that you should do if offered is to get your psychometric testing qualification. Yeah. Because there's often bits of work around around assessment that you yeah. can you can pick up. And maybe if you're doing uh, assessment work with an organisation, they may take you on, Absolutely. or you may find out of other work in that organisation. Don't be afraid of HR; they're not our yeah. enemies. No, they, they're they, not. <laughs> they, they can be our friends, and mm-hmm. you know, many people go in, and, and I know it's one person's quite a high-powered HR director now yeah. from doing an MSc in occupational psychology. But there's also training, there's lots of training and development jobs as well that, you know, again, they won't say occupational psychologist, but you, you can go into that area and it's something that you, you've you learned within. Yeah. Or you can always work for yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. So thank you so much for your time, Christine. It's been fascinating talking to you about your career and um, giving us some advice for any aspiring occupational psychologists or work psychologists or business psychologists, whatever people want to call themselves. Um, So thank you so much. And uh, everyone else stay tuned for the newest episodes that will be coming up soon. But thank you so much, Christine, for joining us. Thank you.